Hi, uh, and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. I'm your guest, Scott Shawcroft of Chickadee Tech. And we are your hosts, Parker Dolman. And Stephen Craig. So this is uh, Scott Shawcroft. Yep. Um, he is a uh, ex-Googler. Yeah, just over a year now. Yeah, and he started a company called uh, Chickadee Tech, mm-hmm. who does, uh, or he does. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Me and my cats. Yeah. <laughs> um, quadcopter stuff. Yes. Yeah. So uh, what I'm working on is a system called Polystack, and it's a modular flight control system, primarily for quadcopters, but um, hopefully branching out into the Arduino space also. Uh, so Arduino compatible space is the appropriate term. Cool. I like I like the whole industry term quadcopter stuff. Yeah. I, I, I think I think that's what we should we should call it from here on out. Yeah. It's like like a big banner on the top of your web page quadcopter, quadcopter stuff. stuff. <laughs> yeah, but there's there's lots of other types too like tricopters. And then like most people who come up to you in the park are like, "Oh, is that a drone?" Dronestuff.com. Dronestuff.com. I don't know. Maybe it's not taken. Go for it. I've been looking at all those, like, the new top-level domains. Yeah, That's why I have the website is chickadee.tech rather than, like, chickadee.tech.com. Don't go there. It doesn't work. Well, Um, do you own that one? What's the uh, the meaning behind the name? Uh, Chickadee's a bird uh, that's native to the Northwest, so I grew up just, like, watching it, and they fly around, and... I don't know. I like it, so I decided to they go. They fly with like it. quadcopters. Yeah, they fly in the in the bush, in the bushes, and in the trees and stuff. So I don't oh. know. It made sense to me. Oh, so yeah, um, Scott, you you grew up in the Northwest. You're actually from Seattle, right? Uh, yeah, outside of the city, um, yeah. Kitsap County. So what brought you down here to Houston? Uh, well, I came down here to visit Macrofab um, because I found Macrofab online an, maybe six months ago now when I was still doing all of the different designs that I've been doing. Um, so my, because it's a platform, I'm doing a total of 13 different designs in this first run um, between the boards that hold the microcontroller and then all of the other boards that you can, you ex- you can expand your functionality with. It's um, about 12 more than most people do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and that's been a real uh, growth point from, for working with Macrofab is that I've been talking a lot with Brandon, the customer customer guy and uh saying like oh what about this or that and he's like well not many people do that but we'll see <laughs> but we'll see what we can do and and macrofab and brandon specifically have been really great and super helpful so i was really happy when i like finally put the money down for that first major order uh which i was down here to see get produced yeah we actually were building them yesterday and today right mm-hmm. and i think you were working on your uh your test fixture yeah today. that was the main focus, the thing I was worried about most was making sure the test jig actually ran as it ran at my house, right? Because it's a different computer, different setup, um, and the boards are different, right? Like I was only using like either the single prototype I had Macrofab produced before or some of my hand-soldered prototypes from before that. Um, but we made like 81 of the control boards at Macrofab, so wanted to be here to make sure that if, if it's the test trick is Python code. So if it happens to like throw an exception or something, I wanted to be here so I could fix it and, <laughs> yeah. and unblock you rather than like playing phone tag or email tags. So. Yeah. There was actually a bug too. 
There was more than one button. Oh, more and more. There's <laughs> always more one. than one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, we first tested just one of the mod boards, which is like the ones that you expand or, or put on top. And I uh, actually don't remember what the bug with that was, but we definitely had one. Um, I think some of it was just like it's using a high density DF40 connector. Um, by Hyros, and uh, just when it the test jig was seated, it wasn't seated quite right. Um, so luckily, I brought the test jig that I had been testing with at home, kind of as a golden, and so we were swip- switching between that and one that had just come off the line. Um, so in order to have multiple of them, I actually produced them in this first batch also. Um, so we were comparing the results there, and we first had some issues with just like the connectors being connected correctly. Um, because it's like the first time that Rob had like actually like sandwiched them together, and then uh, with the control boards, uh, what they do is they, because it does I/O tests about like detecting like it sets one pin high and then reads the all the all the other pins and makes sure that they're still low for shorts, and then with the connector like the top connector, so there's two 80 pin connectors. There's one on the bottom, one on the top of mods, and then on control boards, there's one on the top. Um, it reads what it's connected to on that top one so that you know that it's soldered well. Anyway, that's the weeds. But um, first, what it has to do is just do a sanity check that everything is low. But there's a whitelist that says, like, these ones will be high. So, like, your I squared C pull ups mm-hmm. that are on the board will have it high. Your reset is high because it's active low. You don't want to just, like, have it never work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be bad, right? And then the other ones that are high are the LEDs. And, uh, we're like, oh, like it's telling me one of the LEDs is not high when it should be high. I finally looked at my test code and I was toggling it as a like debug output. Um, oh, so sometimes so it would be high and sometimes it would be low. <laughs> yeah, so it was toggling low and uh, which would turn the LED on. And so like when we were playing around with it, we we're like, why is that LED blinking? You know, turned out that was causing the test to fail. I removed that code and then it passed just fine. Cool. Um, so. Uh, one thing I have to mention, one one thing that uh, really defines this this podcast, I think, as an engineer's podcast, is the fact that I think we we introduced Scott here and didn't talk about what his product uh, does. We went right to <laughs> here's how we make it, and here's all the issues that I was having. <laughs> this so, 80, 80 pin connector, yeah, right, right. Pull up, pull down. So Scott, why don't you tell us what your product does? Oh, thank you. I, I'm still getting used to explaining <laughs> to people what it actually does. Um, so the product as it stands today is a flight controller for a quadcopter in particular. So what it does is it has an accelerometer and gyroscope that track the motion of a quad as it flies and then changes the motor outputs, like speeds up a motor or slows down a motor, to make sure that it's actually stable. Um, a guy in our group was talking about... Uh, so I'm part of a Facebook group called Seattle Multirotors, and we have like 30, 330 people since we started last March. Um, but one of, the, one of the guys in the group was talking about a contest on Reddit where you f- try to fly a quadcopter without a flight controller and to see how long you could keep it in the air. Because it's basically like balancing, you know, something like a, a broomstick on your hand. Um, although I guess it's harder than that. Um, and the record, <laughs> the record for somebody doing it, I guess, is six seconds. This is the longest they've flown it without like a microcontroller. Like my product, uh, the F3FC and the F4FC, 
a polystack uh, does. I guess it would also be how well your quadcopter was built for for that contest. Yeah. So, so the more even your weight distribution is and mm -hmm. <coughs> your center like of gravity. All, all your, your motors are within the same spec. Yeah, like same response based on the speed controllers and the wind. The wind. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, like part of the, the control loop that runs just does compensate for the wind actually knocking it to the side. Um, which is, I don't understand it. I'm my, my hardware is running open source software called beta flight, uh, that all that logic is from. Uh, is that, is that from the Seattle group or is that like just a, no, it's a much broader project. Okay. Um, it was funny. I was telling somebody about it and it's actually, so beta flight is a fork of clean flight and clean flight is a fork of base flight. So the original is the base flight stuff. So but, what, what, why are all the forks in that? So um, it's software guys. Base, software. <laughs> so base flight, the root of it is actually has its roots in a multi-Wii controller. So the very first flight controllers were actually based on the Wii nunchuck. Yeah, I actually remember that. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But that was an 8-bit. Okay. And that was an 8-bit system. So the port from that to the STM32 line, the 32-bit line, was base flight. That was done by a developer called TimeCop, and uh, he's not known for his relationship with other people. Um, <laughs> this is actually before I joined very, the hobby. Uh, that's a very political way to go about it. I guess. Yeah, well, I, I never experienced it myself, so it's, it would be unfair for me to dog on him too much, but that led to another developer, Dominic, uh, forking and creating CleanFlight, which was geared towards uh, cleaner code and better coding practices, and that gained a lot of momentum um, for a long time, and then Betaflight came along wanting to even push the, the boundary further. Um, so they, CleanFlight and Betaflight have a pretty good re working relationship too, but uh, from my perspective, Dominic, the guy who created CleanFlight, has actually caught the hardware bug also, uh, which means he spends less time on software, uh, which is where Betaflight comes in and really pushes the software boundary. So, so both my boards ship with a new version of Betaflight straight from GitHub that is not even released yet uh, because it supports both of the boards. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, oh, is MacRib like downloading that no, directly or no, are you actually no, giving no. us a hex file? No, like, it's that, like your Python code, like compiling it no, directly. That would be time. crazy. Getting nightlies awesome. directly no. from this project. No. So <laughs> one of the, th so I'm doing this as my full-time job because I left Google a year ago. And uh, basically the last week before I came, was me frantically getting the code working well enough to put on the boards to ship to people. Um, so I have my own fork of Betaflight that has... Is it Alpha Flight? No, it's just <laughs> called Betaflight. Um, and I plan on reintegrating all the changes back, but that includes things like pin mappings um, for the boards because I didn't copy pin mappings of an existing board. Um, and my board has more I.O. than most of the other ones because I'm... Most use like the 64 pin package. I'm using the 100 pin package and all those connections go into the 80 pin connector. Um, but I spent the last week basically like fixing I squared C and um, also fixing the virtual COM port uh, pass through stuff. Well, trying to fix it. It still like has some bugs. <laughs> um, and then test flying. So I like actually test flew both both of the bin files, and now they're in a zip file that's on your computer at Macrofeb. Gotcha. But none of that code's released yet. Slightly less exciting. 
Sorry. <laughs> next time. That next would, time I'll have it pulled from my GitHub. No, I think that would be pretty, uh, pretty impressive or crazy. Crazy is actually the right word for it. Well, it would be awesome for manufacturing if all we had to do was point to URL on GitHub and it would download, compile, and push into your, yeah, and told your board. You got a update and it had a bug in it. Now you have to go back and redo that all production run. Yeah, code should never have bug, bugs in it. Right? <laughs> code like, always has bugs in it. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the bugs matter. If, if right. you meet a developer and they tell you their code has no bugs, you should not hire them because there were always bugs. Of course. I think software generally does get better, but there's always bugs. <laughs> yeah. um, so, Scott, why don't you tell us more about yourself? So we've been talking about your um, business. Chickity Tech. Yeah. What do you want to know about me? Well, so is quadcopters your, also your hobby as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it started as my hobby before I even left Google. Um, so how'd you get into quadcopters? There's this really awesome YouTube video called Crash Session or something like that. Um, but it's a, a number of people who went with their quads and flew in a forest. And because it's in a forest, it has like the LEDs on the back of the quads are really vibrant and they've got like upbeat music. And uh, they also have video of multiple quads in the air. So the back one's filming the front one. And oh. so if you, want, if you need a visual, it's kind of like, you know, the Star Wars pod racing scene through the forest. <laughs> um, that's what I've seen people compare it to. And I think it's an accurate comparison. Um, so you're flying through the woods. You're like narrowly missing trees and, and stuff like that. And it's really exciting. Um, so I got really excited about that. And then... I also discovered a YouTube channel called uh, Flight Test. Flight not spelled like you would imagine. It's F-L-I-T-E. Okay. Um, they're out of Ohio, and they do tons and tons of stuff. And their quad at the time, called the ElectroHub, was basically $500 all up. Um, and so that's the one I started with, basically January 1st of, of last year. And then pretty soon after that, that the mini quad craze took off. And um, so mini quads are typically carbon fiber frame, a little bit pricier, but they take a beating. You can crash into like, I, I crashed into like a, an aluminum or steel pole uh, last time I was out and uh, broke some props, at, which should be expected. But besides that, it looked okay. I've also run into concrete and trees and all that. And you repair it. <laughs> not people. Not people. No, <laughs> I, I like to fly responsibly. Um, I try my best. I did actually hit like my mom's leg once. Uh, which I will not get myself in that situation again. But, uh, it's better than the cat, though. Yeah. I mean, that was outside. Like, okay. I, I don't fly those quads inside. Um, I have a Nano QX that I have flown inside that the cats don't know what to, to do with. Yeah, my, my dog absolutely hates my Hubson uh, micro quad. So. Yep. Yeah, they tend to be pretty noisy, and animals don't necessarily take well to that. No. But the tiny whoop, tiny whoop might be worth the the hectic. Yeah. So the, the uh, Scott yesterday was talk talking to me about this tiny whoop quad. Mm-hmm. So what what is this thing? So the tiny whoop is not actually like a quad you can just go out and buy. Um, and I haven't. I don't actually have one myself, but it's kind of torn through our group. Our Facebook group is something that everybody's buying, and they're really excited about. And I, I think the reason they're excited about it is because it's actually uh, so first-person view, so you can wear goggles or a screen and see the perspective of the quad itself. And, 
And so you can do it inside, and so you can race around inside when it's rainy, like in Seattle sometimes. Not in the summer, but in the winter. Um, I thought it was supposed to rain there like 90% of the time. Mm, I don't think it's that bad. <laughs> Not in the summer, at least. The summer is beautiful. It's a lot less hot than here. Yeah, it is very hot. It's actually been raining a lot, too, here in Houston. So yeah. I guess we shouldn't talk. <laughs> yeah, well, well, it rained for like an hour, but it rained like five or six inches is what Chris said it was going to be. Like, yeah, it got it, when it rained, it was about 75 degrees, maybe. And I just checked uh, my car on the way over here, and it's 100. Yeah. <laughs> we have violent temp- temperature swings here. Yeah, it's all hot to me. <laughs> 75 is hot still. Um, yeah, so the Tiny Whoop is like a, kind of a stock one that you then mod with a camera and po- more powerful motors to carry the camera. Um, it's a relatively e- easy build because it's only actually two solder joints uh, for the power to the camera, but um, it's still, uh, people have been having a great time with it. Yeah, I'm going to have to jump on that craze. It looks like it looks like a lot of fun. Yeah, it looks yep. like a ton of fun. Yeah. Um, so this is and so this uh, Chickadee Tech mm-hmm. is your first experience in hardware. Oh yeah. So uh, I went. So, because so, uh, you come from software background, yep. right? At yeah. Google. And yep. uh, so, what made you get into hardware? What got you that? What you, what you said the hardware bug? Well, nobody made me. Um, I had done. I had never done PCBs until I started like this Chickadee Tech stuff. Um, but I had done some like Adafruit kits and uh, home automation sorts of things. So like there's a website called mysensors.org that had some like rudimentary 2.4 gigahertz protocol for like reporting back from a sensor to a hub. And I had done that and uh, done a little soldering and it was on like a Permo Proto board. Um, but before that, I really hadn't done anything. And then like last October is kind of when I started the hardware stuff and I'd done some website stuff and that was kind of interesting. I uh, didn't do that well. And then I had this idea for a lap timer for quads. So typical lap timers are uh, infrared based and they involve like something you buy to put on your quad and something that you like, ha- you have to have a big, long, tall pole with like a bunch of res- receivers on it to make it go by. And there's like basically hundreds of dollars. Uh, but first person view quads, FPV quads have this like video 5.8 gigahertz signal blasting, um, because that's what you're flying by. And what I wanted to do, uh, was create a piece of hardware that would log the RSSI of that channel. So when you go by it, it it will peak and then you can count the time between the peaks as your lap time. Hmm. So I worked on that for. Well, I wanted to start in September, but I ordered some critical parts from Banggood, and they took ages uh, to get. So I ended up doing it in October. So I like learned KiCad uh, to do that, and uh, I was at my grandma's house and got the idea for the Polystag stuff. So the uh, so learning KiCad, how did mm-hmm. you go about learning it? Did you just sit down and go like, I'm going to build a PCB and just <laughs> like. Did you read? No, anything? no. He said, "I'm going to build 13 PCBs." <laughs> 13 PCBs. No, the, the I, I designed more than the 13 too. Oh wow! Uh, at least it's one a of bit them. Ambitious I was like, I'm ambitious for, for not having done this before. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I I don't think I had the 13 before I like started getting prototypes from Oshpark and confirming I was like actually on the right track. 
Um, but I'm self-taught for programming. Even though I went to school for it later, I, I learned how to do it before. So I'm, I'm pretty good at Googling stuff um, to figure <laughs> out how to do it. And uh, YouTube was actually really useful, too. So there's some, like, walkthroughs and things. Is that, is that, a, is that a joke at Google? Like, you know, that website, let me Google that for you? Oh, yeah. Is that a joke <laughs> at Google, too? Uh yeah <laughs> I would say it is um, most of the people there know like you're indoctrinated in that um, so people use Google and they use Google products obviously um, so it's kind of the default but if you ever did catch somebody you'd, you'd awfully be tempted to send them that link <laughs> did anyone actually um, did anyone that you knew there had like an at hotmail.com oh I'm sure know? they did but but we had like work emails okay, and that's, okay. that we used. Um, I never did have like a personal email from somebody else that I can think of. Gotcha. Uh, they were all Gmail. Well, that could be personal as well. Yeah, but uh, so yeah, so I got those when I left. Okay. Um, was the personal emails? Um, yeah, that was crazy. At leaving Google was. My parents said it was bold. It's <laughs> like, well, thanks for telling me it wasn't stupid. Um, and my girlfriend was like, why can't you just wait? Because I did it last June and she graduated uh, with her PhD in December. She wanted me to wait so that we could like have this like nice gap aligned. And I was like, but I don't like my job. <laughs> so, and I was like, I can I can last until you can figure it out, too. So that's we're at the tail end of that period of figuring out what we're going to do. And hopefully all of this production stuff goes well and people buy it and uh, I can keep keep it up. Should be cool. Yeah, that would be really cool. It's yeah. always great to uh, have someone takes your hardware and actually use it, or like your product that you've poured your soul into, and someone actually uses it. Yeah. So PCBs are a very emotional thing for Parker. <laughs> yeah, he, he really attaches himself to them. Yeah, I believe that. I mean, it's it's my baby. It's all I've done for the last six months, eight months. Um, having no job and then my girlfriend being gone for two months of that. Um, I did to visit her, so I took a, some, a break, but, um, yeah, it's, I hope people like it. Like I've, I've shown a lot of people in the, our Facebook group and then I've had a few testers actually fly it. So I know it works, um, well enough at least. Uh, but you know, you get more out there, you'll find issues also. Yeah. So we'll have some, uh, pictures and a link in the, in the blog description. Yeah. All the stuff. Yeah, Parker was asking me about the website, and I'm like, yeah, that's that's the bottom of the list. <laughs> I needed I needed everything to be made first, and then I'll, I'll worry about the website. That's, I was trying to do some research, market yes. research and stuff. Spoken like an engineer, not a salesperson. Yeah. Yep, <laughs> guilty as charged. <laughs> engineer first, and uh, learning all the business side, which is not something I went into it anticipating, um, but I've hopefully done my due diligence on, on all that other stuff. It's, it's fun quotes <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've, none of it's been super bad but uh as we get into the like actually selling and trying to sell out the first batch i think i'm gonna end up being like i really want to just engineer stuff for the second batch but I'll, like if i don't sell the first batch then i can't get a second one well i think it's super cool and i hope it uh, goes well for you yeah i actually really like the uh 
the we did something a little special with the uh, FR4 fiberglass. Yeah. Um, we got a uh, black substrate. Mm-hmm. So, and clear yeah. mask. Yeah, clear mask. But it looks really cool. It's like an inverted PCB almost. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, and that was something I really pushed for because I'm going to open source everything. You know, even if nobody buys it, at least somebody can learn from it because yeah. I learned that way too. Um, and so everything will be open source when it's released and you'll be able to see exactly where all the traces go. You know what? How cool would it be if all open source boards were black FR4 clear solder mask? If that was just like, if you saw that, you knew that was an open source thing. Yeah, I've seen some, I mean, like a uh, Gibson guitar has got a circuit board in it. That's that way, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I don't know. I was just like, it, because it's unique, because you don't see it very often. Uh, it could be like a an, an indicator, as opposed to like what it, I guess it's what they have that one symbol that is yeah, sometimes the, the put gear, in the silk yeah. screen. The, yeah, gear, the open yeah. source hardware. They're introducing yeah. a new one too. Okay. Yeah, in in the fall. What's it look like? It has the letters O S H W in it. Um, it's by the hardware open source hardware alliance summit. association they're announced they're like okay. officially launching at the summit but it's going to involve a self-certification process where you actually like link to all your open source files and then you'll get like a, a kind of a, like a hash like macrofab has where it's like five alphanumeric characters that somebody can take and then look up all the information about it for gotcha. um, there's a whole there's a whole apparently lots of copyright issues or trademark issues around the gear logo um, that makes it un- unclear who actually owns it and can like keep it. So it's basically just been like a. Isn't the good whole faith point thing. that that it's not owned and kept? Um, no, I don't think so. I like you still need to validate that it's open source, right? Like, like you want to make sure nobody abuses that. Sure. Logo and yeah, that, like and a, that mark. Yeah, like Netgear slaps on their their modem. Right. Right. <laughs> so I, I mean, I don't know how much in like how many issues they've actually had with the gear logo, but um, I know that they're introducing a new logo for that reason so that they can have very clear ownership yeah. guidelines and then uh, licensing guidelines too. Well, that'll be interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually planning on going to the summit if I'm still in the area. Yeah, it's like, um, it's similar to Arduino where people were saying their stuff was Arduino compatible and they're like, you can't use that. You have to say it's Duino compatible. Really? I think that's what it was. Really? Yeah. You can be Duino compatible, but not Arduino. I thought you just couldn't call it an Arduino or some variant of Arduino. Yeah, but Arduino compatible is it describing it rather than saying it's an Arduino. Yeah, I think I think to call something an official Arduino, yeah. it has to be made by those guys. Or licensed from them. Or, or licensed, right. yes. Yep. Right. And and they have that that unique resistor on the board mm. that uh, I think they have, they have a, a resistor. It's a polyfuse. Is it a poly? Yeah, you're right. It's a polyfuse that mm. is like all gold or something like that. It's basically a polyfuse polyfuse without the like top layer on it. They, mm. uh, they put a, uh, a mask layer on top that basically turns it green. Right. And they told them not to do that. And so it's just gold. <laughs> right. Say. Right. Interesting. And it's the mark of a true. Right. Arduino. I didn't Supposedly. know that. I didn't know that. Although it's probably not hard to copy that. No. <laughs> Just take a fiberglass pin and scrape off the... And it becomes official. Yeah. Yeah. Becomes official. <laughs> yeah, I have the same trademark issues with my boards. And I was thinking, like, when I release it, maybe I won't have, like, the chickadee bird logo on it. Because that is, like, 
a sign that it was manufactured at least by Macrofab, like for me. Uh, but then I was like, but I'm going to provide high res photos and somebody could easily just copy it from that. So well, you I'm could, not going to do that. Well, going to the black FR4, not a lot of board manufacturers can do that. Yeah. Um, so you'll definitely know the difference between if someone ordered boards from mm-hmm. uh, Osh Park, so to speak. Yeah. Um, first ones that you are getting built. Yeah, for sure. That that does help a lot. And FR four is an additional. The black FR four is an additional cost too. So yeah. if they're looking to scoop me on price, at least they yeah. would have to pay that. Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> scoop you on the price. Yeah, I'm kind of assuming it's going to happen, but that's okay. Well, I always view it as if someone copies whatever you designed. You should take pride in that because your device was good enough to be copied. Yeah, yeah. You've like, done something right. Yeah, you I know I hit right the there. big time. Like, if people actually think it's worth cloning. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. It's even better if someone copies your device and improved upon it. Yep. And they t- they can do that. Totally. Just don't put my trademarks on it. There you go. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that's, the, that's the big asterisk for open source hardware. It's trademarks. Trademarks. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Stephen, do you have? Oh, what was that, Stephen? Uh, so, do you have anything else to ask, Scott? No, I think that I think it's good. Cool. I guess we'll just go right into RFO section. Yeah. All right. All right. And so, uh, the big news of the week it was uh, Autodesk buying out CadSoft from Farnell because I think last week Farnell was getting sold to some Swiss company mm-hmm. um, for some actually obscene amount of money. And so Farnell was basically selling off all their assets, and CadSoft is one of them. CadSoft makes Eagle, which is an EDA tool. Which I didn't realize until I saw the show notes. I was like, (laughs) oh, that's big news. (laughs) Yeah, so it's it's pretty interesting um, because Autodesk actually already has an EDA tool. Yeah. Mm Circuits.io. It's an online Mm -hmm. one. So I was actually kind of confused why they would buy CadSoft. Because Eagle's huge. Well, yeah. Eagle's got a very big... I think what happened was probably Circuits.io probably didn't take off too hard. Yeah. And so they're looking mm-hmm. to still get into that market. Yeah. Right. And so they're like, oh, yeah, we can buy CadSoft now. And they brought they bought the brand, like the trademark too, right? So they can make it Eagle.io yeah. if they wanted to. Yeah, I think they can. Yeah, yeah. they have all the trademark. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, I'm, I say thumbs up because they can actually make Eagle good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's going to be good too. I really like uh, Autodesk's current product products. Yeah. Their uh, Fusion 360 CAD software is really awesome. Yeah, hmm. uh, I'll take your word for it. It's like Ooh. SketchUp, a, a X Google product. Yes, I'm aware of SketchUp. Yeah, so if you <laughs> use SketchUp, it's like a way better version of SketchUp. All right. I, I wonder if the new Eagle.io or whatever it's going to be will have an export to Fusion 360, so you can export your board. Ooh. Like a full 3D model, That'd and then awesome. build your box. It's like an all-in-one package. That might be enough to make and me go to versa. Eagle. <laughs> yeah, like you could take design the, a box. like yeah, design the box, and then import the outline back into your EDA. There we go. That's they I should like start this. paying for us for our brainstorming. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Autodesk, send money to one eight hundred Macrofab. Actually, I do not know our phone number. <laughs> I have it in my phone. It's <laughs> not a 1 800. Is that how often you call Brandon? Yeah, he's it's like in my at the phone. top of your list of favorites. I don't know if he's a favorite, but at some point it was like, I need to know he's calling me so that I pick up rather than like some scammer. 
Ah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they both have the, uh, the, what the eye watches, and they can feel each other's heartbeat. Uh, they, they're, they're, they're pretty close. Brandon and I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I've talked with him quite a lot. So, uh, and it's been great to meet him in person, too. Yeah. Brandon's a pretty good guy. Is he, is he everything you expected him to be? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the best was uh, actually when, when um, Scott got to where we record, and he was just, like, blown away about how, like, relaxed everything was. Mm-hmm. He was expecting, like, upright chairs and, a, like, a, um, a table with, like, mic stands like actually on the on the table and like yeah. paper and stuff like that yeah like we don't like... record in a prison <laughs> <laughs> i don't know it would be imagination like the, uh, man yeah uh it would be like the um those like uh video radio shows that espn does and stuff oh mm-hmm. yeah yeah something like that no we, we sit on a couch <laughs> yeah i'm quite comfortable <laughs> yeah well, take it easy <laughs> but yeah so I think it's good. I'll just buy an out eagle. Maybe they'll ramp the interface up to something that wasn't built in the 90s. I mm. wouldn't be surprised if they make some big changes. Yeah. So Autodesk by Eagle. Perfect for your pick Mega 32s. <laughs> 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 so how much more, like, because we're, like, collapsing all these, like, electronic uh, suppliers and, and um, chip fabs into like big towering conglomerates of companies. So mm-hmm. who's next on the chopping block? Mauser mm. and DigiKey. They, they, they crush together. You think they'd allow that? DigiMouse. DigiMouse. Digger. Digger. Would they have to move to Minnesota for that? No, they, have to go, who, no they go right in the middle. Who's by who? They who buys to, who? You got no, they moved to Kansas. Wait, wait, uh, oh, okay. uh, Mauser's in Dallas. Where's DigiKey at? Minnesota. And then Minnesota, right? so yeah, like like near the North Dakota border, like in a like small town. That so they grew the, so up in. so it, what, it would be like North Oklahoma is where <laughs> they would meet. There was actually a project at Google that's named after the midpoint between the two teams that worked on it. Oh, really? Yep. It's called Kansas. Kansas. <laughs> yeah. It was like New York and San Francisco. So you got Kansas out of it. Cool. Is that why uh, Google Fiber started there? It's right in the middle. <laughs> I, don't know. I had nothing. It to may do actually with that. have been because isn't it right there? It's pretty close. Yeah. Sorry. Continue. Yeah, that was uh, Steven's phone. <laughs> <laughs> Not mine. You think after 22 episodes, he would learn. <laughs> now he knows. Uh, okay. Um, we talked about this on a previous podcast. I think it was with Greg, uh, who's at Octavo Systems. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. the, uh, was it Greg? I can't remember. Uh, it, it was the FR4 Machine Shield. Pretty sure it was Greg. I think it was. Um, yeah, because he saw it at Maker Faire. Hmm. Uh, and it's basically a CNC shield, in quotes, I would say. So you basically take a... It's a big 18-inch by 24-inch sheet of you know, PCB material that's all routed out. Mm-hmm. And you punch all the parts out, screw it all together, and then stick a Arduino on it, and you have a CNC machine. Huh. That's nifty. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think I saw that in terms of like a CNC machine made out of PCB. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, but uh, they actually announced the Kickstarter for it. Ooh. Oh, that's cool. Came out today. Um, and so they had more details about the actual product that mm-hmm. I thought was really cool. Is their driver boards or their driver chips that drive the steppers mm-hmm. are actually on like edge connectors. Hmm. And so they have a a edge connector connector like a PCI connector, and you plug in the driver boards into them. Oh, that's cool. And so if right. one blows up, you just you know unplug it and plug a new one back in, like a Wi-Fi card. Right. I thought that was interesting. I haven't seen anything like that before. And I'm actually kind of wondering how much current those connectors can pass. But I guess it's probably enough for a little tiny machine like this. Yeah. Right. What's the What's the actual cut size on it? It can't be that big. Yeah, it's got to be tiny. The entire flat material is 18 by 24. Yeah. So maybe like a 4 inch by 4 inch bed or something like that? Probably smaller. I'm probably not... looking like that uh, Fabricator Mini 3D printer I have. Yeah. Which is like a 2 inch by 2 inch by 2 inch. Hmm. It's probably similar to that. Yeah. Right. That's still, it's, it's cool. Uh, did you did you happen to see anything about the pricing on it? $350. Huh. That's not bad. No. I think you can do laser etching, minor milling, and uh, it said something else on there. I can't remember what they tested it with. Wait, for three fifty, does it come with everything? I think so, including the mill. I think it's just a little tiny spindle, but yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, yes, but I have to check on that. But I would assume it comes with something. Yeah, maybe a laser. Because uh, mm-hmm. I was thinking that three fifty was just the bed and the controls. Uh, that might it, be true. If it's three fifty for everything, that's awesome. Yeah, you can just get a. You have the Fabricator Mini three D yeah. printer, and then right beside it, this little guy. So you you three D print something and then put it in, and the CNC just destroys it. <laughs> it destroys <laughs> it. <laughs> and you could conveyor it, so it just moves over automatically. Three D print a conveyor. <laughs> <laughs> right. Don't destroy that one though. <laughs> um. Yeah, I think it's cool. I, 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 it's from the guys who make uh, Pocket CNC. They have like this little tiny five-axis machine that you can buy, too. Mm. That one's actually a proper machine. It's like all milled out of aluminum and steel and stuff. Um, and it probably has a proper price, too. Yeah, a proper price. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's a cool idea. I think we talked about this with Greg is seeing more stuff like this being made is really cool. Mm-hmm. And I think actually Scott's got something similar. He's got a spacer board that's just made at FR4. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, FR4 is is super versatile and and even um Dave Jones from the EV blog his his little microcurrent he uses uh his actual PCB is the faceplate of his mm-hmm. little device. I think that's a great idea. Uh it for double E's who don't necessarily want to spend a lot of time with the mechanical design of things, you can you're already natively designing the PCB. Mm-hmm. Just use it as your faceplate. What's what's going to be the issue there? You know. Yeah. I think the good thing about the two is you don't really have to worry about um, when you send your files off. You don't have to worry about calling out tolerances, which is yeah. for for new guys. It's very daunting. Like oh, you know, like like you put like. Zero dot zero 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 one, and it's like, and they'll come back with like, oh yeah, that's going to cost you like two thousand dollars to build this little tiny <laughs> right, thing. Right, right. Um, 
Because you, you just don't know better. You don't right. know. Yeah, what... when you say a quarter inch hole, I meant a quarter inch hole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was, that's been weird for me doing hardware because I'm used to software and like software is very like discreet and hardware is not. Yeah, this register is going to be 255 plus minus four numbers. <laughs> right. It's either a zero or a one. There is rarely an in-between. Well, the, fu- the, the, the funny thing is, most of the time, the tolerances are already chosen for you as a PCB uh, mm-hmm. hardware designer. You go to a manufacturer and see what their capabilities are. If you make something within their capabilities, it will be within those capabilities. And most of the mm-hmm. time, stuff like hole tolerances, you know, plus minus three thousandths or, or even less in, in, in a lot of cases. But you don't have to worry as long as your design can work with, you know, those kind of tolerance. Instead of calling them out, they're just given to you. Yes. Right. Which, that, hey, that's, that's convenient. It's one less thing out of the 400,000 things you have to worry about on a PCB. Oh, you know? yeah. Yeah, and I think that was one of the comments I saw about this CNC that's made out of the FR4 is that the CNC or the PCB assembly or creation process is so good as far as tolerances go for the price that manufacturing other things besides just PCBs makes some sense uh, because the tolerances are like so good for the price. But per square inch, FR4 PCB materials a lot more expensive than you know, say aluminum or just buying a, like, uh, was it? Garolite? Garolite. Garolite, which is FR4. Yeah. Mm. Right. Uh, but you is just that, drill it out yourself. You drill out yourself or mill it out. Yeah. I don't have a mill <laughs> in my house. I have to pay somebody to do it. So the, would it be cheaper then if I like paid somebody to mill it out? It depends. Depends on how cheap the, the guy yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> if I lend it to you and you did it for me, then obviously it'd be cheaper. Unless you charge me. Yeah. <laughs> um, for milling, I like to use a parts badger mm. up in Wisconsin. So. Yeah, I remember you mentioning that on yeah. a previous podcast. On a previous podcast. They're, they're interesting. They're, they're, their price is, uh, it raises an eyebrow. Yeah. So far, well, we've had two things from them, and there's a third on the way. Yep, and everything's been pretty good. Everything's been great, uh, and significantly cheaper than uh other options yep and their pricing is pretty much you plug in the outer extents of what you're building Mm -hmm. and then you select how many operations you have so operations in cnc is basically how many times they have to turn the thing in the mill Mm -hmm. so if you're most stuff that we do is face plates and so you only have one operation Mm -hmm. you're going from the front into the material right um so you can do two three up to six uh, mm-hmm. operations and they support uh chamfering and all this other stuff which costs more because it's more operations and contouring and contouring um anodizing is like 14 dollars and so i'm like sure yeah. <laughs> click <laughs> why not <laughs> anodize. Mm-hmm. but uh but yeah so you plug in your outer extents tell how many operations and you upload a step file it tells you the price sounds like macrofab similar <laughs> I mean, that's one of the things I liked about it was I didn't have to talk to a- anybody on the phone in order to like figure out what the pricing was. An engineer's dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The funny part is, is like I actually talked with another company. I emailed them some similar questions that I had with Macrofab. And I, the response I got was, give us a call. But they were like super simple questions like, you know, what tolerances are your PCBs? And uh, I was just like, nope. 
<laughs> but the funny part is, is that I ended up talking on the phone with Brandon all the time at Macrofab, just like later in the process after I had like kind of committed to it in my mind. So kudos to Macrofab. Thank you. We try really hard to be self-service. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been great. And like I've, I've had a lot of uh, non-use case stuff being that I'm doing 13 different designs and I'm doing custom PCB. Um, and, uh, so I've definitely like wandered off that self-service path, but it's still been great. Cause you even did uh prototypes earlier for, with us too. I did one run of just like standard prototypes just to make sure that like, uh, everything was right. Basically. Yeah. Cool. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is probably something a little close to your heart, Scott. Yeah, the, uh, all this engineering, uh, like hardware engineering talk, is a bit over my head. <laughs> I'm still like very much a newbie. It's a, the uh, but, well, it sounds like you're off to a, a really good start. Yeah, better start than most people. Yeah, for sure. Good, I hope so. Um, I'm actually pretty impressed that you were able to self learn a EDA tool <laughs> so quickly like that. Well, one of my boards is on revision nine. <laughs> Another one is them on revision seven. That's kind of normal. And yeah. that, well, the Revision 7 one has one connector and two resistors on it. So that includes silkscreen changes, but still, that one took me a long time to figure out why the connector was popping off. Huh. The is that one of those, um, it's, is it one of your 80 pin? No, it's, the, it's a 20 pin. It's the same connector, but only in 20 pins. It's the power board. And what I finally, finally realized at like Revision 5 was that when I had created the footprint and keypad, I made the pads too far apart. Um, oh. So I was barely getting solder contact mm. uh, on the legs from the connector. Um, and once I fixed that, knock on wood, cross your fingers, uh, they've stayed on. <laughs> really worry about it, though, because quads can crash into things, and I'm sure somebody will break it. Yeah, you have uh, mechanical stresses on all your components. Yep. Yeah. Fingers crossed. So yeah, the uh, this was actually happened last week. Was the uh, FAA drone and quadcopter like regulations came out? Yeah, the commercial ones. Yep. Yeah, I got so, an well, email they, about they it. They go even further than commercial. They go down to hobby. Well, the hobby ones I think came out before. Yeah. Did they really? Yeah. Yeah. So the hobby ones were out like before the end of last year. Okay. And the general gist with that is like uh, at the time you could do it for free, but uh, right now if you went you'd pay five dollars. Um, you basically get walked through, like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Uh, give them your information, and then they give you an identification code that they ask you to put in an accessible place on your quad. So uh, the numbers are the same for both of them. It's really a number for you. And then uh, you can fly within the constraints that they lay out for you. Um, so what came out last week was the commercial stuff, which is entirely welcome be because there was a couple of ways you could do it before that in my understanding one way was actually having a pilot's license so like for a proper plane um the other way was getting some like exemption thing uh that some companies did but basically if you were a small nobody you couldn't afford to do hmm. it's interesting uh, i was looking through some of the regulations and they have this they have a chart that says, you know, if you're a hobbyist and you want to do X, Y, Z, this is what you need. Mm -hmm. um, and you you have to have, uh, what is it? I, it's not a license, but but if you're 
if your quadcopter is over 0.55 pounds, mm-hmm. it has to be registered. 250 grams, yep. Yeah, uh, which, is, which is interesting. Um, and then yeah, if, if you're using it for work, you do have to have a license or, or some kind of pilot's license. It's not the same. It's not like a small aircraft right, uh, right. license, but, but it is a different. You have to complete some kind of course. Yep. Yeah, it's yeah. called the uh, Re- Remote Pilot's Airman Certificate. That's it. Yeah, you have to get a certificate. Of and the TSA has to approve you. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, it does. They actually say that the uh, the TSA vetting is is the uh, verbiage that they use on the website, which is hmm. interesting. In fact, um, Josh, uh, the the owner of the uh, studio that we record at, he uh, he did a, a wedding, uh, was doing some photography a little while back, and they did some quadcopter photos, and so technically, that you, that was a, a paid job, mm-hmm. and this quadcopter was certainly over two hundred and fifty grams. Yep. Uh, this was a while ago, so it wouldn't it wouldn't apply right now. But now, you would have had to have had a certificate in order to actually do things, and the TSA would have to I don't know put you through an X ray scanner and and figure out yeah they have to, all they your have secrets. To, yeah, they, yeah they, they've already, they've already probed <laughs> him. They already know where that they weird mole is at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the whole area is just like very much changing. Um, on the car ride over, Parker and I were talking about it and just like how drones get a bad rap because of what some people do with them. And, uh, you know, I, I take it upon myself to try to teach people that one, you shouldn't do the things that people get in trouble for. And two, most people don't. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's important to me cause it's my, it's a hobby of mine and, and I need space to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm kind of curious you don't fly drones for a living. It's n- uh, you create hardware Correct. for drones. Correct. Do you need the certificate? Do you need a license of some sort? I have no idea. I don't either. I mean, it's, um, it's kind of weird. I mean, I guess you do test flights they for have, your equipment. So Yeah, they have talked with somebody who is making money via YouTube ads from videos that they took. Okay. With their quad, um, but basically, it's just all new, and and there's a lot of both court cases and uh, just time before it's all going to get settled out. Hmm. Um, so you know, I when I approach it, I tr- approach it from a more practical standpoint of like, I'm not going to fly over people because I don't want to hit somebody that doesn't know what's going on. Sure, I don't want to fly over somebody's property and risk damaging it. Um, so just what I think is common sense, but obviously some people don't also think that. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's the good thing about having to take this online course. And so you actually learn about that kind of stuff. Yeah. And even the, even the hobbyists just like read this list of 10 things includes things like that. Yeah. Um, cause it's just so, like, it might be obvious to you or mm-hmm. to me, but it might not be obvious for, to someone else. Right, like somebody buys a phantom and then like goes out into their front yard amongst their entire neighborhood, flies it up and over their neighbor's house. Yeah, that sort of thing. <laughs> so, so the real question is, how long until we have to start taking defensive flying classes? Defensive <laughs> flying classes. Uh, only when Blade Runner comes true. <laughs> yeah. There we go. <laughs> 
yeah, flying cars would be pretty awesome. Maybe maybe that'd be the, the future of your controller. Or do you just don't want that's, that responsibility? That's, that's, uh, that somebody like else is gonna somebody pull. else is gonna do that. There's one guy working Chicken on tech motors. <laughs> so there's one guy working on like a person like a quadcopter that can carry a person. I saw it online. Yeah, I saw a video was he was like or someone it was one of those and someone was standing on one and going out over like a uh lake. Yeah. Yeah, I would never do that. I wouldn't either. They just seem super dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, these big spinning blades. Yeah, like twenty four inch wide spinning blades of death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm scared of the six inch blades on mine. <laughs> yeah. Well even my little Hubson, if you hit yourself, it, mm-hmm. it hurts. It doesn't feel good. No, it doesn't feel good. I've 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 flown it and I say flown in, in quotes. Uh, he hit the throttle and went immediately up into the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> they're so Pretty touchy. Common. Pretty common. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're, they're really... And, and I was in, like, easy mode. Oh, yeah. Easy mode's actually kind of hard. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not super intuitive. Yeah. It doesn't fly like a plane. Like, if you actually, like, have less computer involved, you can get it to fly more like a plane would. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't float. Right. It doesn't self-level. No. Right. Oh, Which means it. it feels more like a plane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. Do you have anything else, guys, that you want to talk about? I, I think that. So. I think that was good. Okay. Cool. I've spent the last two days talking. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me on here, though. It's been it's been awesome. And yeah, it's been nice having you come down from uh, Seattle to come visit us. Yeah, it's a bunch yeah. of fun. Yeah. Thanks for putting up with me. <laughs> no, it's a good change of pace at the fab. Yeah, I hope I didn't distract anybody too much, but I was super excited to like seeing the boards in the picking place and I'm like oh my god that's so cool and then, <laughs> right, that's, it, I'll put this way that never gets old for me so yeah picking place is really really cool the I saw the uh, solder, solder jetter this morning the pace jetter pace jetter yeah that's right yeah um, I'm all new to this that um, that thing's probably equally if not more impressive than the, the picking place yep yeah so that was all great and uh, everybody's been super nice so I appreciate that awesome yeah so you want to sign us out scott sure well uh i'm your guest scott shawcroft and you've been listening to the macrofab engineering podcast and we were your hosts parker dillman and stephen craig catch you later guys take it easy